How do the Buddhas, out of their vast mercy and compassion, preach the Dharma to sentient beings? We speak of their mercy and compassion as vast, just because it is beyond causality, and therefore infinite. By mercy is really meant not conceiving of a Buddha to be enlightened. While compassion really means not conceiving of sentient beings to be delivered. In reality, their Dharma is neither preached in words nor otherwise signified, and those who listen neither hear nor attain. It is as though an imaginary teacher had preached to imaginary people. As regards all these dharmas, if for the sake of the way, I speak to you from my deeper knowledge and lead you forward, you will certainly be able to understand what I say. And as to mercy and compassion, if for your sakes I take to thinking things out and studying other people's concepts. In neither case will you have reached a true perception of the real nature of your own mind from within yourselves. So in the end, these things will be of no help at all. What is the meaning of zealous application? The most completely successful form of zealous application is the absence from your minds of all such distinctions as my body, my mind, 
As soon as you begin to seek for something outside your own mind, you are like Kali Raja, bent on hunting. But when you prevent your minds from going on travels outside themselves, you are already a Kanti Rishi. No bodies and no minds. That is the way of the Buddhas. If I follow this way and refrain from intellectual processes and conceptual thinking, shall I be certain of attaining the goal? Such non-intellection is following the way. Why this talk of attaining and not attaining The matter is thus. By thinking of something, you create an entity. And by thinking of nothing, you create another. Let such erroneous thinking perish utterly. And then nothing will remain for you to go seeking. What is meant by transcending the three worlds of desire, form and formlessness? Transcending the three worlds connotes rising beyond the dualism of good and evil. Buddhas appear in the world in order to make an end of desire, of form and of formless phenomena. For you also, the three worlds will vanish if you can reach the state beyond thought. 
On the other hand, if you still cling to the notion that something, even if it be as small as the hundredth part of a grain, might exist objectively, then even a perfect mastery of the entire Mahayana canon will fail to give you victory over the three worlds. Only when every one of those tiny fragments is seen to be nothing can the Mahayana achieve this victory for you. One day, after taking his seat in the great hall, the master began as follows. Since mind is the Buddha, the Absolute, it embraces all things, from the Buddhas at one extreme to the meanest of belly-crawling reptiles or insects at the other. All these alike share the Buddha nature and all are of the substance of the one mind. So after his arrival from the West, Bodhidharma transmitted naught but the Dharma of the One Mind. He pointed directly to the truth that all sentient beings have always been of one substance with the Buddha. He did not follow any of those mistaken methods of attainment. And if you could only achieve this comprehension of your own mind, thereby discovering your real nature, there would assuredly be nothing for you to seek either. Does a person accomplish this comprehension of their own mind?
That which asks the question is your own mind. But if you were to remain quiescent and to refrain from the smallest mental activity, its substance would be seen as a void. You would find it formless, occupying no point in space and falling neither into the categories of existence nor into that of non-existence. Because it is imperceptible, Bodhidharma said, Mind, which is our real nature, is the unbegotten and indestructible womb. In response to circumstances, it transforms itself into phenomena. For the sake of convenience, we speak of mind as the intelligence, but when it does not respond to circumstances, it cannot be spoken of in such dualistic terms as existence or non-existence. Besides, even when engaged in creating objects in response to causality, it is still imperceptible. If you know this and rest tranquilly in nothingness, then you are indeed following the way of the Buddhas. Therefore does the Sutra say, develop a mind which rests on no thing, whatever. Every one of the sentient beings bound to the wheel of alternating life and death is recreated from the karma of their own desires. Endlessly their hearts remain bound to the six states of existence, thereby involving them in all sorts of sorrow and pain. Ching Ming says, There are people with minds like those of apes who are very hard to teach. 
people who need all sorts of precepts and doctrines with which to force their hearts into submission. And so when thoughts arise, all sorts of dharmas follow, but they vanish with thoughts cessation. We can see from this that every sort of dharma is but a creation of mind. And all kinds of beings, humans, devas, sufferers in hell, asuras, and all comprised within the six forms of life. Each one of them is mind created. If only you would learn how to achieve a state of non-intellection, immediately the chain of causation would snap. Give up those erroneous thoughts leading to false distinctions. There is no self and no other. There is no wrong desire, no anger, no hatred, no love, no victory no failure. Only renounce the error of intellectual or conceptual thought processes and your nature will exhibit its pristine purity. For this alone is the way to attain enlightenment. To observe the Dharma to become a Buddha and all the rest.
unless you understand this, the whole of your great learning, your painful efforts to advance, your austerities of diet and clothing, will not help you to a knowledge of your own mind. All such practices must be termed fallacious, for any of them will lead to your rebirth among demons, enemies of the truth, or among the crude nature spirits. What end is served by pursuits like those? Chi Kung says, Our bodies are the creations of our own minds. But how can one expect to gain such knowledge from books? If only you could comprehend the nature of your own mind and put an end to discriminatory thought. There would naturally be no room for even a grain of error to arise. Ching Ming expressed this in a verse. Just spread out the mat for reclining quite flat. When thoughts tied to a bed, like a sick man growing worse, all karma will cease and all fancies disperse. That's what is meant by Bodhi. As it is, so long as your mind is subject to the slightest movement of thought, you will remain engulfed in the error of taking ignorant and enlightened for separate states. This error will persist regardless of your vast knowledge of the Mahayana or of your ability to pass through the four grades of sainthood and the ten stages of progress leading to enlightenment. For all these pursuits belong to what is ephemeral 
even the most strenuous of your efforts is doomed to fail. Just as an arrow shot ever so high into the air must inevitably fall spent to the ground. So in spite of them, you were certain to find yourselves back on the wheel of life and death. Indulging in such practices implies your failure to understand the Buddha's real meaning. Surely the endurance of so much unnecessary suffering is nothing but a gigantic error, isn't it? Qigong says elsewhere, if you do not meet with a teacher able to transcend the worlds, you will go on swallowing the medicine of the Mahayana Dharma quite in vain. Were you now to practice keeping your minds motionless at all times, whether walking, standing, sitting or lying, concentrating entirely upon the goal of no thought creation, no duality, no reliance on others, and no attachments, just allowing all things to take their course the whole day long, as though you were too ill to bother. Unknown to the world, innocent of any urge to be known or unknown to others. with your minds like blocks of stone that mend no holes, then all the dharmas would penetrate your understanding through and through. In a little while, you would find yourselves firmly unattached. Thus, for the first time in your lives, you would discover your reactions to phenomena decreasing and ultimately, you would pass beyond the triple world 
and people would say that a Buddha had appeared in the world. Pure and passionless knowledge implies putting an end to the ceaseless flow of thoughts and images. For in that way, you stop creating the karma that leads to rebirth, whether as gods or humans, or as sufferers in hell. Once every sort of mental process has ceased, not a particle of karma is formed. Then, even in this life, your minds and bodies become those of being completely liberated. Supposing that this does not result in freeing you immediately from further rebirths, at the very least, you'll be assured of rebirth in accordance with your own wishes. The Sutra declares, Bodhisattvas are re-embodied into whatsoever forms they desire. But were they suddenly to lose the power of keeping their minds free from conceptual thought? Attachment to form would drag them back into the phenomenal world and each of those forms would create for them a demon's karma. is filled with radiant clarity, so cast away the darkness of your old concepts. Rid yourselves of everything. 
the sentence in the Lotus Sutra concerning a whole 20 years spent in the shoveling away of manure symbolizes the necessity of driving from your minds whatever tends to the formation of concepts. In another passage, the same sutra identifies the pile of dung which has to be carted away with metaphysics and sophistry. Thus, the womb of the Tathagatas is intrinsically a voidness and silence, containing no individualized dharmas of any sort or kind. And therefore, says the Sutra, the entire realms of all the Buddhas are equally void. Though others may talk of the way of the Buddhas as something to be reached by various pious practices and by sutra study, you must have nothing to do with such ideas. A perception, sudden as blinking, that subject and object are one will lead to a deeply mysterious, wordless understanding. And by this understanding, will you awake to the truth of Zen? When you happen upon someone who has no understanding, you must claim to know nothing. They may be delighted by the discovery of some way to enlightenment. Yet, if you allow yourselves to be persuaded by them, you will experience no delight at all, but suffer both sorrow and disappointment. What have such thoughts as theirs to do with the study of Zen? Even if you do obtain from them some trifling method, it will only be a thought constructed Dharma, 
having nothing to do with Zen. Thus Bodhidharma sat wrapped in meditation before a wall. He did not seek to lead people into having opinions. Therefore, it is written to put out of mind even the principle from which action springs is the true teaching of the Buddhas while dualism belongs to the sphere of demons. Your true nature is something never lost to you, even in moments of delusion, nor is it gained at the moment of enlightenment. It is the nature of the Buddha Tathata. In it is neither delusion nor right understanding. It fills the void everywhere and is intrinsically of the substance of the one mind. How then can your mind created objects exist outside the void? The void is fundamentally without spatial dimensions, passions, activities, delusions or right understanding. You must clearly understand that in it there are no things, no humans and no Buddhas. 
for this void contains not the smallest hair's breadth of anything that can be viewed spatially. It depends on nothing and is attached to nothing. It is all-pervading, spotless beauty. It is a self-existent and uncreated absolute. then how can it even be a matter for discussion that the real Buddha has no mouth and preaches no Dharma? Or that real hearing requires no ears? For who could hear it? It is a jewel beyond all price.